0: what's up guys run dmt here host of the kill your ego podcast and host of the brand new podcast the genre fix first and foremost i want to thank you guys for tuning into our network we couldn't do this without you and we love every single last one of you Second of all, we just did a massive overhaul to our website. Go to killyouregonow.com and check out our past releases, check out all of our back catalog of past podcasts, and check out some of our new merch. And if you use code PODCAST15, you're going to get 15% off of your order. Nine out of ten base heads recommend it. So head on over to killyouregonow.com and check us out.
1: Do you read us a bedtime
0: story? <laughs> late night parties, drinking tequila, and trying to get lucky. Run the track! Every kind of music for every kind
2: of thing. Including all oh, the bigger yeah. ah. wait! It's time for the Best sex club Are you recording, baby?
1: Ready to get started? Are you ready, Sethy Wethy? Are you pumped? Are you hyped?
2: Yo, the kid, the kid is hype. The, the kid is so, so hype. Right
1: <laughs> <right? laughs> Everybody, thank you so much for hanging out and joining us. We are Sex, Drugs, and Drink Tickets, a drunk music history podcast told to you by yours truly, Hudson Eakin. But most people know me as Webson. I'm a bass music producer and a former music teacher living in Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm joined by my bestie, the bearded man with the big beer can, the sweetest, most nicest, most badass, handsome front-of-house engineer you've ever met, Seth fucking Richardson. And an occasional
2: beard model. <laughs> an occasional beard model. <laughs> okay. Yes, it's, it's your boy, Seth fucking Richardson. So you're always beard modeling, even when you're not beard modeling. It's always true. I'm always beard modeling even if I'm not beard <laughs> modeling. Um.
1: So over the past like seven or eight months, Seth and I've been collecting stories and telling them to a couple of, telling them with a couple of friends. And so we're gonna be playing y'all a mixture of these newer stories we're working on as well as some of the older ones that we've already done some deeper dives into. So over our first couple of dates, you know, while we're hanging out, getting to know each other, you're gonna get kind of a grab bag of weird time warps and shit like that. So apologies on the confusion on that. Don't worry, it's not really, you know, important to enjoying it every episode individually.
2: It's true. This is not really a serialized podcast. We, we kind of approach these, um, you know, sometimes in part one and part two, but like generally these are kind of their own entity.
1: Yeah. I th- You know, we, we are trying to get better at doing deep dives and all that stuff, but we're still learning how to do the research. This is all very new to us. Um, definitely a work in progress. So please share your thoughts and criticisms, obviously, you know, in the comments and all that stuff or Ho- uh, holla at us on the social medias. I am Webson official on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Sethi Wethi, where can they holla at you?
2: Oh shit, y'all can find me on basically everywhere: Twitter, Instagram. I don't have Facebook. Um, JDate, Christian Mingle. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Damn Seth Daniel. <laughs> um, farmers only. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah. JDate, you know, farmers only. All the all the important ones. <laughs> Yeah, or, or you can just find me at Front of House. There's a good chance if you go and see your, your favorite band and you walk to the sound man. There's like a decent chance. Probably. So just, you know, come come holler next time. If you say, hey, are you that guy from the podcast? And I am, in fact, that guy from the podcast. I'll buy you a beer. It's,
1: it's a little known fact that actually Seth is every sound man at every show. And he's just moving really, really fast all the time.
2: That's right. It's moved very rapidly.
1: <laughs> so... Um, like I said, you know, today's our first date, so we're gonna go a little easy on you. We're gonna, instead of doing, like, one big story, or even doing part one of a story, we're gonna do, like, a little, a little two-course tapas plate. A little, a little platter of ser- stories served up by yours truly. Uh, If you like what you hear, leave us a comment, share with your friends. Honestly, we don't even really care where the comment is, just having activity on whatever format you're listening on, whether it's Spotify or SoundCloud or iTunes, just say something like... Seth is really pretty. And then boom, that's cool. Or tell us about the weather in your hood or like a really dope recipe you enjoy or anything really, or a story you want us to cover. That's a good one. Just holler at us. Just holler at us. We want to talk to you. You can say random shit too, whatever. Of course we want to talk to you, but that also just helps us get more of our shit out there. And that's what we really were trying to get started off um, on the right foot here. So we can share all these rad stories with a whole bunch of really rad people like you. So with that being said, We have a little bit of a disclaimer. We're not historians. We're musicians. And we're going to be drinking. We're going to be drinking heavily. Sometimes when we do these, we may have been drinking all day. So it is, you know, and we we won't apologize for this. But we will own the fact that sometimes things become sloppy and fun that way. So we're not perfect, but we're a lot of fun. Uh, We're like that. We're, you know, we're not the prom queen, but we're that like, slightly less handsome or less pretty person that like really likes to get nasty. We do that thing with the tongue you like, you know? Like like we really we really get nasty with it. So, you know, that's that's what we're here to do. We're here to get nasty and ugly and grimy and sweaty and gory
2: because that's what history is all about. That's right. And we also, we, we should mention that we we generally approach these stories by assuming truth, by just generally assuming oh, yeah. truth. And what I mean by that is, if there is if there is a conspiracy theory that we can go and follow down the rabbit hole, we will do that.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And regardless of how, regardless of what validity it carries, we will follow that down the rabbit hole just to explore every option. Sometimes
1: it's just fun to do.
2: It's true. All right. That's the sound of me. That's the sound of me pulling up a glass of wine right there.
1: I got me a nice little heifer, vissen. A nice a heffa. Got oh me a big old tall boy heifer right here. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> hey. uh, uh. so fucking hey. with that drink for episode one of sex drugs and drink tickets
2: All right. yeah you want to get us started bro yes episode one of sex drugs and drink tickets and so hudson today we're gonna we're gonna explore an aspect of of recorded music of pop music and by pop music, I mean popular music, not necessarily like you know your stereotypical candy-coated pop music, but your you know your popular music. Every once in a while, when you when you start to look a little bit deeper into the making of some of your favorite songs, um, you start to find that there are um, there are certain characters who come up a lot. There are some people whose whose hands have touched a lot of the things that have gone out into the airwaves that we've come to know and love. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Invisible are, hands. Exactly. Invisible hands. Strength. Exactly. And, you know, we uh, we, 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 may, we may talk about ghost producers at some point, and that's a different, uh, that's a different conversation entirely. Um, so would, would but, this
1: be more like sound guys or, you know, light technicians or other people who work in the dark and don't get nearly the credit that they deserve? Hmm?
2: It, exactly. This is talking about, mm. um, this is talking specifically about producers, but like you, you frequently see, um, this happening with engineers, with producers, with songwriters, with people who kind of work in the backgrounds and, and push the levers and turn the knobs. They wear all um, black and they work in the right. dark. That's right. And that's funny enough, I'm currently wearing black t-shirt, black jeans, um, and a pair of black sneakers. Um, but that's not the wow. point. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Anywho. So today we're going to talk about one of those characters, a man by the name of Jerry Finn. Um, and Jerry Finn is a... Is a little known name around the dinner table, but he has a really important place in music history, um, specifically in a genre and a and a subculture that was very important to me in my upbringing, uh, which was that of of pop punk, specifically. Oh, in shit. this shit! So this this is this, pop punk, specifically California pop punk. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, can you give, yeah, give me an idea of what, uh, tell some of our listeners what that entails. What is California pop punk sounding like back in our childhood?
2: So California pop punk was like an eventual evolution of skater culture in, in California in the late nineties, or like, I guess throughout most of the nineties into the early two thousands, there was this sound that started to to really to really catch on and really become ubiquitous in that in that region and the the bands that that come to mind are Blink One Eighty Two Green Day oh hell yeah bands like uh, MXPX and Rancid um, so these are all like th- these are the bands
1: that's like when you saw these kids out there like being badasses fucking shredded and shit because everyone knows only badasses skateboard it's very true that's a, that's you you have to have a badass level requirement in order to rock those things. And that's the type of music that they'd be bumping out their speakers. That's like the soundtrack of like, ooh, those kids are gnarly. Yeah, those kids are rad.
2: <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly, man. Exactly what those I'm Those are talking rebels. About right they do those what are, they are, want. Those are rebels, bro. The exactly. man can't tell them what to do. They do whatever they want. And so Jerry Finn was was born in Ventura, California in 1969. Um, and-, and so he, hey. And so he, so he very much, you know, he grew up through skateboard, through surf and skateboard culture. Um, I was going to say, was he know, a
1: skater growing up?
2: You know, I don't know the answer to that, but I would be interested to find out. So if anybody happens to know this man uh, and, and knows whether or not he was a surfer or skateboarder, can't get in touch. Let us know.
1: He might have been one of those, just like he might have been like the the squid from fucking Rocket Power, like the dude right. who like kind of tagged along, but like you know he he was there, but he wasn't really a border,
2: you know, but he was just like steeped in the shit. Yep, exactly. I bet he was, bet he was a fucking nerd. He very well could have been. I bet he wasn't nerd. Most of us are. Yeah, facts. Um, That's not
1: an insult when and, I say that,
2: by the way. Oh no, of course not. Um, not mali- not
1: maligning nerds here.
2: Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, and so in in that in that vein as well. Like there there actually isn't a lot of information available about Jerry Finn's early childhood. Um in, in interviews when he's asked, he always just kind of doesn't have much to say. Um huh. he was adopted. Oh um the first music he remembers hearing was Fiddler on the Roof, and he eventually attended Dick Grove School of Music. Um, ha <laughs>
1: ha 69 Dick Grove. <laughs> sixty-nine dicks, old grove full of dicks, um, dick trees, sixty-nine dick trees. <laughs>
2: Sorry, done. (laughs) I'm in a mood today. (laughs) Yeah, you're you're on one right now. Yeah, dude. Um, So, (laughs) um, oh dear. So he went to to Grove Street
1: sixty nine Grove Street Dick Street sixty nine Dick Grove. Yes. Yep.
2: Exactly. Um, that's that was the school address was sixty nine Dick Grove. Um, Mm -hmm. so he eventually became an assistant at the Music Grinder in Hollywood in the early nineties. Um. And this was, this was at the time, a very active studio. Um, there were, you know, people record, everyone recorded there from Nirvana to fucking Layla Hathaway, right? Like Holy it's, it's shit. Like the, tons and tons and tons of people recorded at, at the Music Grinder. Um, yeah. And, 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 you know, just, just over time, it was one of those studios. It has since closed. It's, uh, the Music Grinder is no longer active as of 2014. Um, Damn. so why'd it get shut down? Do you know? It was, this was one of the, was one of the studios right kind of at the end, like right before the music industry started to pick up again because of streaming that started to close down in California. There was a huge wave of closures because of people, this is not just not being able to pay the bills and keep the doors open. Um, This was part of that wave of closures. Um, Some, some of these studios were bought by dudes like Dave Grohl. Um, This was not, this was not one of them. Oh, um, (laughs) yes, unfortunately, but he, he was later hired as a second engineer at the music grinder, um, and then eventually moved to Devonshire sound Sound studios where he met Rob Cavallo. Now Rob Cavallo is another record producer, entrepreneur, um, you know, American music mogul. He is known for his production work with green day, as well as Lincoln park, my chemical romance, Eric Clapton, the Google dolls, Dave Matthews band. Kid Rock, Alanis Morissette, Black Sabbath, Phil Collins, Paramore, Sixpence None the Richer, Lil Peep, Shine Down, and Meatloaf.
1: <laughs> what the fuck? Like how he just had Lil Peep and and uh, and and what was it? You say? Uh, oh, Lil
2: God, Peep, Cl- Shine Down, and Meatloaf, and, all and in the Clapton, same sentence. And
1: Clapton as yep, well. And, did and you Clapton say? as well. What the yep. fuck? Drink for that resume? That's insane.
2: It's a wild resume, right? Ugh, Jesus, that's bonkers. And so, like you know, and so that's that's like I was saying, you know, there are sometimes you find these characters who have, who've touched a lot of your favorite recordings and you start to see that, you know, a lot of the time you, you might really truly love like six or seven albums, all they're done by um, the same producer. And what that means is that you like that producer's sound like that. And in, in a big way, these, these individuals shape segments of the music industry by who they work with at what time. And, and, and really affect sound in that way.
1: It's really weird as well how like these, so like I've always kind of grouped these bands, a lot of those bands in my head as a kid. Like I I still remember my like pop punk fades as like Mike and Romance and Blink-182 and Green Day and The Offspring and artists like that. So it's really weird that I, I've kind of always grouped them in my head together without realizing why. Um, and I was just always attracted to, you know, I thought it was just the genre choice, but it's also the engineering as well. But as a kid, you mm-hmm. don't really know that shit. So it's just really subconscious like hooks in your brain. It's
2: kind of fun. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like you, you, start to, you start to kind of realize that the same hands have crafted a lot of this stuff. That, you know, that rather than looking at them all as separate bands, well, it's like, okay, you know, a lot of these bands have the very same team.
1: Yeah. So they actually were tied together the whole time.
2: But yeah. Weird. So they, yeah. So they really were. There is that through line between them, which is really cool. The one tier deeper that I want to to extend this is that we we'll be going van. We're going van deeper. We're, go, van, we're going van deeper. Van um, deeper. So just a little blurb about Rob Cavallo. Rob Cavallo originally worked with George Massenberg at the Complex Recording Studios during his early career. And so George Massenberg is a really important figure, a guy who I've actually had the the great honor of running Pro Tools for during a master class. Oh uh, wow. Which was which it was an insane and nerve-wracking but amazing experience. I was gonna say, did you like
1: um, fanboy all over the place?
2: I would have. Dude, I, I was shitting my pants because he's notoriously hard on his uh, on his Pro Tools engineers. Oh um, shit. and so I was just like trying to be so fucking sharp and on my game <laughs> and shit. And um and he ended up like he ended up really liking me. Oh,
1: that's great! I envision him like a Gordon Ramsay, just like putting your exactly head like <laughs> exactly
2: like a Gordon Ramsay, <laughs> putting um, your head
1: between two mouse pads or two speakers and being
2: like, "What are you? What are you?" Yep, exactly. <laughs> the reason I mention this that he worked with George Massenburg is because George Massenburg is um, he is responsible for automation and the parametric equalizer.
1: Yeah. 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 This guy got to be before uh, off, like without recording. So like, yeah, for those of you who don't know, um, for, who don't know, you know, electronic music, basically what allows us to create, set the program to change a sound over time so that we don't have to do it manually every time. It's like the difference between a manual and an automatic transition uh, in a car. So it, it gives infinite possibilities when making music. And it's a really basic function that
2: everybody uses. It's true, and and that event at one time didn't exist. And George Massenberg invented it for uh, for large format um, audio consoles back in back in the eighties. Um, and so he is the reason why all of the EDM producers out there can do big filter and noise sweeps to, um, in Ableton to this day.
1: That's the that's um, a so. noises and shit like that.
2: Yeah, um, and. <laughs> Just, just a little blurb about his, um, you know, a little note about his discography. He has worked with Earth, Wind & Fire, James Taylor, Billy Joel, Toto, Dixie Chicks, Journey, uh, Madeline Pirro, uh, I think I pronounced that correctly, Little Feet, Weather Report, Randy Newman, Lyle Lovett, the list goes on and on and on. Herbie Hancock, like this guy has a really extensive discography.
1: Wow. Drink for another crazy resume. That's bonkers, yeah. dude.
2: Wow. Wow. So that's just to, give, to kind of give the, a little bit of lineage behind this guy, Jerry Finn. So let's get back to Jerry Finn. So Jerry Finn became the right-hand man to Rob Cavallo, And at the time, Rob Cavallo was producing Green Day's major label debut, debut Dookie. Um, so Damn. the story goes that Green Day originally did not like the first round of mixes that were delivered to them. So Finn and Cavallo, um, they both work together to like help improve the mix. I don't know if you've ever been in this position, Hudson, but like, you know, in in a situation like this where like someone's like, all right, well, yeah, the first mix sucked. Uh, It's up to you guys to make it better. Well, it's a lot of of pressure, a lot of pressure. You got to rise to that occasion. So long story short, those are the mixes that we that we came to know were the mixes that Finn and Cavallo finalized during that process. So what did he um, do?
1: Do you know anything about what he did differently? Cause I know what I rem- now, now that I'm older, I, I know what I remember hearing in those recordings that I liked, but I'm just curious to see if like that was just my ears, or if that's just what I picked up or if that's what he intended.
2: So they had, they intended to create a brighter mix, but the sound that really got um, that got uh, Jerry Finn noticed was the way that he was able to do these like bright punchy mixes with big, warm guitars. Nice. Um, okay, word. So his guitar work was what he was most known for? Exactly. He was most known for, for his guitar work. And um, Alternative Press once wrote that Finn often, quote, helped rough punk bands refine their sound and helped them discover the power of a good vocal hook. Hell yeah. Um, and so that was that was Finn's calling card, and that became Finn's calling card. Um, once he had released Dookie into, into the, you know, into the world, the train had left the station. Now this sound was, was known to be something. Um, and so Finn was eventually sought out by bands like Blink-182, AFI, Sum 41, Alkaline Trio. Um, you know, he worked with Green Day again. He worked with Morsi, MXPX, and Rancid. The list goes on. So
1: basically a lot of bands were like, I want to sound like Dookie. And he was like, gotcha.
2: Say no more. Exactly. Um, Sick. And I want
1: to sound like Dookie.
2: <laughs> I want to sound like Dookie. Um, and we'll we will we will go through a few a few works in his in his production discography later on because his his career has you know, spanned a little more than a decade, and the the number of iconic albums that he touched was was just insane. Alternative Press also wrote, you know, anyone who heard Green Day's first two records knew the breakout potential was there, but it took Cavallo and Finn to draw it out. So after kind of cementing his place in history in this way. He, you know, after that, he worked as an assistant at Conway recording studios, which he regarded as his favorite studio to work in. Eventually he was seeing so much success from Dookie that he was able to leave and go off on his own. He was able to like, to really have his own business and do his own
1: thing. That's punk as fuck.
2: He eventually began a fruitful association with Epitaph Records Um, which I'm sure is a record label that you recognize, Hudson. Yeah. He co-produced Pennywise's About Time in 95, which was also early on in his career. Wow. He started working with Bad Religion's guitarist, Brett, how do you pronounce this? Uh, Brett Gorwitz? Gorwitz. And also (laughs) Gorwitz. And his first solo production endeavor was Rancid's and Out Come the Wolves.
1: Oh, it's one of my favorite bodies of work ever.
2: Wow. Yeah, you know, it's oh. it's really amazing. Oh, um, wow. It's really amazing going through this guy's discography because the, the records that he's touched are all the records that really defined the, like my my upbringing. Um, another one that he that he had his hands all up in was Blink-82's Enema of the State.
1: Woo! Yeah, damn. Yeah, I can't ignore that yep. one
2: for sure. Yep, he also, for them, he returned to produce the Mark, Tom, and Travis show, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, Blink-82, The Self-Titled, that he also eventually worked on the Boxcar box racer, self titled, and the plus and plus forty four is original. Look, release, I love right? both so those like,
1: side projects. Those were both. Yeah, great. Man, He yeah. was
2: he was all up in all of those projects. Um, wow. And so i I do want to to run through his his production discography because the list of, of albums in total he's worked on is just mind blowing.
1: So like, do we, do we drink for everyone? Do we like chug while you do it? Like what, what's, what's the plan here, boss?
2: All right. Oh man. Um, I think, I think that we're just going to have to, I think that we're going to have to drink for everyone. Oh Jesus. Um, all right, cool. But, we're, but I'm, but I'm only going to, but I'm only going to touch the ones. Uh, I'm only going to touch a couple per year. So, uh, <laughs> so it won't be too intense. Okay. Um, so I'll keep count the very, the very first album he worked on, was, uh, was Color Me Bad's Young, Gifted, and Bad The Remixes as an assistant engineer and remix assistant. That was in 1992, the same year that I was born. So let's drink for, drink for the start of the career. I was six years old. Jesus. Drink
1: mm-hmm.
2: for a start. Drink for the start. In 94 was when Jerry Finn worked on Green Day's Dookie and Green Day's Woodstock 94. Um, he was the mix engineer on all of Dookie, and the mix engineer on "When I Come Around" on Woodstock '94. So drink for Dookie. Drink for Dookie. Drink for sounding like Dookie. As a as a as a contrast to that, that same year in 1994, he also is the assistant engineer on Alvin and the Chipmunks: A Very Merry Chipmunk. <laughs> drink for a very merry chipmunk.
1: Yes, excellent. <laughs> in
2: 1995. He was credited as the engineer and mixer on Goo, Goo Dolls' "A Boy Named Goo." Wow! He was also credited as the mix engineer on Green Day's "Insomniac" and the Jerky Boys, or and did a remix of the Jerky Boys' "A Two Thousand Light Years Away." So, drink for both of those. So,
1: like, "A Boy Named Goo" and the the third one you mentioned. What was what was it? Was it
2: the Jerky Boys.
1: Yeah, all that sound. It a boy named Goo. I was like, okay, sci-fi album maybe. And with the second one, I was with it, too. But then you got the Jerky Boys, and I was like, nope, this is a really,
2: really niche porn. A boy named Goo, Insomniac, and the Jerky Boys. Yep, yep. yep. That is a, uh, yep. <laughs> That sure, sure is. In 1995, he also produced, he also was credited as the producer and engineer on Pennywise's About Time. He was, uh, so Drink for Pennywise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He was also credited as the producer and mixer on... Rancid's and Outcome the Wolves in 95. So drink for Rancid. Hell yeah. Maxwell Murder is still one of my favorite punk songs ever. Um, and as an honorable mention, and I'm calling it an honorable mention because we're not going to drink for this one, but it does deserve to be said, he also touched Weezer's uh, Angus music from the motion picture as uh, he was the engineer on that, on You Gave Me Your Love. Um, sorry, You Gave me, Your Love, to me so- you Gave Your Love to Me Softly. There we go. Wow. Huh. He was also credited as the engineer on Weezer's You Gave Your Love to Me Softly. Um, Word, cool. So honorable mention for Weezer. um, In 96, he worked on Brain Stew and Jaded as the mixer for Green Day. He worked on Goo Goo Dolls' Hit or Miss. Jesus. So drink for both of those.
1: Brain Stew is so good, dude. I love that song.
2: I know it. In 97, he was the mixer on Green Day's Good Riddance, the iconic Mm -hmm. Time of Your Life. Yep. He was, so drink for time of your life.
1: For every middle school graduation song that was trying to be edgy ever.
2: Yep, every single one. In 98, he was credited as the mix engineer on Rancid's Life Don't Wait. He was also credited as the mixer on the Vandals, Hitler Bad, Vandals Good. <laughs> A statement that I agree with. I'm with I'm that with segment. it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm down. I'd also play that video game, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. In '99, he was the producer and mixer on Blink 182s "Enema of the State" and "Family Reunion." He was also the mixer on The Offspring's "Beheaded" and "The Kids Aren't All Right." Wow, I love that track. "Kids Aren't All Right." Yeah. Banger. Just, so as we as we move through this, and we are we are unfortunately gro- going to, getting close to the end of his discography here, but as you go through these, he um you you see just how many of these tracks that really like played a huge role in the in like the sound of my upbringing, I'm really seeing how, like, they, how he kind of, how he just, his roots go so far.
1: It's canonical um, pop punk, dude. This is all stuff that was, like, like, like between, like, Fuse TV, do you remember that shit? The, the, oh, of course, I and, loved Fuse, and like, man. This was, this was, know,
2: like, the state, this was, this is like, Fuse staples here. Yeah,
1: like, stuff you would hear when you walked into Hot Topic, whenever you were lounging at the mall, fucking, fucking off, because mm-hmm. you had nothing else better to do. Or like, you you know, sometimes your parents would be cool and let you get the version with the swear words and you could scream fuck
2: every now and again or like. Oh, yeah. And you could do it as long as it was in the song. You could say the F word as long as it was in the track. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) All right. So through the 2000s, we're going to do this as a lightning round because it really picks up as far as his as as far as like how prolific this guy is. Bang him out. Bang him out. 2000 blink eighty two The Mark, Tom, and Travis Show. Green Day, 86, Live from Prague. MXPX, The Ever-Passing Moment. Newfound Glory, Hit or Miss. Sum 41, Half Hour of Power. O-1, wow. oh, Alkaline Trio, From Here to Infamy. blink 82 Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. MXPX, Fat Club. Sum 41, the, the Breakout, All Killer, No Filler. Yeah. 2002, Bad Religion, The Process of Belief, Boxcar Racer, Self-Titled. And Sparta, Wiretap Scars. 2003, AFI, Sing the Sorrow, Alkaline Ooh. Trio, Good Morning, blink 82, Self-Titled, The Offspring, I Want to Be Sedated, Vendetta Red, Between the Never and the Now, 2004, Morsi's You Are the Query, The Vandals, Hollywood Potato Chip, and Nancy Sinatra's Let Me Kiss You.
1: What the, what? You, you said Sinatra? Right, just like,
2: I said Nancy Sinatra. Wow. Um, and it's a phenomenal tune. Um, cool. Alkaline. In 2005, he worked on Alkaline Trio's *Crimson*, Blink 82's *Greatest Hits*, and The Offspring's *Can't Repeat*. 2006, he worked on uh, AFI's *December Underground*, Plus 44 is *When Your Heart Stops Beating*, Ti- and in 2007, he worked on Tiger Army, *Year Music from Regions Beyond*, and 09 Morsi's *Years of Refusal*. His discography. His discography ends in
1: 2009 okay so first of all drink because i counted like 27 albums that's insane yep and also seth question i noticed that his output kind of slowed down towards the end like literally i believe it was like uh during the last four years he had three albums and two albums then one and then
2: one respectively did i hear that right yep
1: what what was going on there
2: He had the same number of albums between 06 and 09 as he did in 2005 alone. So, what's Um, what's
1: going on there? Why is he slowing down?
2: So, in 2008, Jerry Finn passed away. Um, I mean,
1: damn. I mean, sorry, I didn't mean to laugh, but like, wow, yes, death is a very good reason to slow down. What happened to him?
2: Holy shit. In July 2008, Finn suffered an intracerebral hemorrhage followed by a massive heart attack. He was taken off life support about a month later um, and never regained consciousness. He eventually died late August 2008.
1: Holy Um, fuck. Wow.
2: Okay. um, So, if you, and in 2008, that was also kind of the end of this sound. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you look through time, if you look through what was getting released, um, if you kind of, if you take, like, for example, by 2008, we had kind of entered into the era of, like, Fall Out Boy, right? And, yep. and we started to get bands that were, you know, that were playing pop punk more in that, um, more in that style, right? Like, Fall Out Boy's from Under the Cork Tree came out in 2005.
1: Yeah, it was a little bit more pop and a little bit less punk.
2: Exactly. And... At that time, um, so 2008, we really start to see that taper off. We start to see the era of Bloghouse start to be upon us, um, and a lot of the bands that we knew that we grew up with that really shaped the sound of our um, of our childhoods, they they either aged out or stopped making music. Um, and right at that same time, the the character who was responsible for for large part, the sound of all of these iconic bands and all of these iconic records by these bands that we all identified with, um, this was very literally the end of a sound through the death of this character.
1: Holy shit. That's
2: like, wow, that's
1: bonkers. It's who carried an era by himself. Like
2: he did. Holy The, fuck. the Jerry Finn sound, this, you know, this rough pop punk band with a powerful hook with this like warm forward guitar and, you know, and very present vocal. Um, this was, this was the sound of a time. This, he, he had his hands in some of the biggest songs of, of that time from Lincoln 82s, all the small things, uh, green days, time of your life. Um, this re- this Damn. really was, this really was an example of an individual who shaped an era for music. And so I would argue that in, in that regard, Jerry Finn should be regarded alongside people like Max Martin, who should be regarded alongside people, dare I say it, like Quincy Jones, um, like, uh, like Phil Spector minus the murder. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think he's a little bit better than
1: Phil just because, you know, there's, there is no murder in this story. Damn, that's that's exactly. wild. That's so crazy. He's, this guy's like an un, unsung hero of our childhood. That's
2: crazy. He is. He is. He is a he is a faceless puppet master of the sound of our childhood. Jerry Finn. Um, and we we lost him too young, and it's unfortunate because you know I I will forever be curious of what a pop music landscape in 2019 would sound like had Jerry Finn lived out a full life and was still making records. For real, goddamn, that's crazy. Drink for the homie, pour one out for the boy. Drink for the homie, pouring out exactly, pouring out for Jerry, man. It's bonkers. And so, concludes the story of Jerry Finn. He He was cut down too young by poor health. Um, and with him, we uh, we saw the end of an era.
1: So, everybody, like, you know, we out here sip, sipping, and all that, but like, drink water, and like, you know. Maybe a little bit less red meat, more veggies, because veggies are good for you. And hey, vitamins. And eight hours of sleep. You know, sleep is great. Take care of yourselves. Don't go out like Mister Finn. <laughs>
2: exactly. exactly. Don't go out like Mister Finn. And you know, it is uh, for for our for our you know, musically inclined uh, listeners out there. You know, if you're, it's important as as musicians, as creatives, to take care of your body and to take care of your mind. And as a, you know, Just as a quick PSA, as, you know, as fellow musicians, be sure that you guys are taking care of yourselves, because we've lost too many characters too young, have uh, seen too much human capital wasted on, on preventable death. Let's all go to the lobby, let's all go to the lobby,
1: let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a
0: treat. What up, guys? Run DMT here, reminding you to head over to KillYourEgoNow.com and check out our past podcast episodes, releases, and new merch. And if you use the code PODCAST15, you get 15% off of our order. Also, don't forget to join our mailing list on the head of the site to get exclusive offers, discounts, freebies, and so much more. Find all this and more at KillYourEgoNow.com. See you there.
1: Damn. Holy shit. Wow. Drink. So I'm going to... Turn this like super sad van around into happy traffic and
2: we're gonna talk. Let's (laughs) let's 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 go. Let's let's get happy, Hudson. We had to deal with some we had to deal with some loss. Let's get let's let's deal with some let's deal with something new, Hudson. What's going on?
1: So, so you know, it's it's fine. We're you know, we're just not talking about loss in my story, we're just gonna talk about
2: violence. Just what I was hoping for. Let's rock (laughs) and roll.
1: So I'm going to talk a little bit about one of my favorite composers. Uh, He's a, a really ridiculous, amazingly creative individual named Igor or Igor. Uh, Stravinsky is what everyone knows him as generally. So this man was born on. Actually, you know what? No, before we even get started, I have to pay him the proper respect.
2: Drink for Igor Stravinsky. Drink for Stravinsky, my G. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: I gotta okay. me another glass of wine. Oh, damn. You gotta gotta,
1: a two, re, gotta, gotta another, refill. A 2 refill. This
2: is a two-last type of show, apparently. <laughs> I'm fine
1: with that. Here um, we go. All right. So, Amant um, Igor Stravinsky was born on June 17th, 1882 in Rheinbaum, Rheinbaum. I can't even pronounce it. Russia. I liked it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know? Um, yes, of course. Here for you. I could say I was trying, but really, I'm drunkenly trying, and I didn't bother to look up the pronunciation beforehand on this one. So, I'll, I'll own this one, y'all. I, I didn't do. I didn't do the reading. I didn't do the homework, but I got the story right. So, anyway. Stravinsky's parents didn't want him to become a composer because they were both struggling musicians themselves. His father was a bassist of uh, was one of the leading operatic bassists of the time, and you know instead they were like Nobby, you you don't want this life, you go into law school. Mm. And so even though he had taken uh you know he had he had taken piano lessons throughout his life uh and Tchaikovsky was a big influence on him, and so like you know music was always a big part of him. And then the universe just kind of said, "Nah, man. Like, like you, you gotta make music." Igor attended less mm-hmm. than yeah, dude. The stars just aligned. That happens to some of us, man. It, 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 divine intervention. You know, I mean, it's sometimes some people are truly chosen to make music, and I, I believe, it's true. I believe our man's is one of them. Fish, fish gotta swim. Igor attended less than fifty classes during his during his entire time at law school. And when the school closed for two months due to the violence of Bloody Sunday, Bloody Sunday, in 1905, which, if you don't know, quick high school history lesson, the Bloody Sunday Massacre occurred when unarmed demonstrators approaching the Imperial Palace with a petition for the Tsar to sign in St. Petersburg were fired upon by the Imperial Guard. This started the violent phase of the Russian Revolution,
2: Yay! That's
1: Drake.
2: <laughs> Yay
1: and so because of this, uh, he was awarded a half degree and he dropped out entirely to focus on music.
2: Damn. Okay.
1: Yeah. Like, like, like I said, the universe was just like, nah, you just go for it, man. Let's go. I think so.
2: So I was just going to interject. No, that's interesting is I, there's a really talented engineer that I work with that used to, um, that was a finance guy. Uh, be out of the expectation of his family, and really hated it. So we went to a two-year certification for for audio and got really good at it. And then started mixing fun of the house. Um, wow. Yeah,
1: that's just awesome.
2: Like, just gave up the fi- the high-paying finance career in favor of being a production rat, and and does a damn good job at it.
1: You know, man, money can't buy happiness necessarily. It helps. It sure does help, hey, but it, like, does. It, doesn't, it doesn't hurt. doesn't I mean, hurt, but it doesn't, doesn't replace true happiness. That's awesome. Good for is, that, man. Yo. That's rad, which is, g- I think it's badass. Give, give that man a, a high five for me. I work tomorrow or some shit. That's rad. That's cool. Buy him a truck yeah. for me.
2: Hell yeah.
1: So, the background I just gave you about Stravinsky is super surface. He's a really fascinating guy, and he's totally worthy of his own. Like, I mean, there are. There's a reason why he's included in like college courses. He's 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 very very cool. Um, and one day we should totally write up some more episodes on these Russian classical composers because this shit is.
2: Right, Russian classical composers are like the Super Smash Brothers characters of classical music. Th- that's that's a great. <laughs> <action>. <laughs> Yo, you're not wrong. They're like wrestlers and
1: shit. Like, I, I say that's what I'm saying like
2: they're the WWF wrestlers. Of classical music.
1: They're they're the most punk rock and metal. Because like the Russian government basically the, the super TLDR. The Russian government was like, hey, everyone else is making classical music, and we're the dopest nation ever. We gotta find our own sound. Hey, you five dudes, you bunch of people. Um, you, and one was like a captain. One was like a soldier. One was an engineer. I think one, only one of them was actually classically musically trained. And these guys became the mighty handful. And they became like the the governing body for- The mighty
2: handful. Yes. I
1: love that. Dude, it's so- They sound like a fucking supervillain group. And like- the the uh, the internal struggles going on within them because these guys built the the foundations for Russian classical on like this mountain of doom and so this legion of doom created all these rules and it cost some composers their lives but at the same time yeah. um, it also would it also helped create this really bombastic unique amazing powerful expressive sound like this is like the dubstep of mm-hmm. classical music uh, right right. And so, yeah, I could I could wax about Stravinsky. Um, one of my favorite stories, real, another real quick one about him, is that he had a, a a rivalry. Well, someone else had a rivalry with him, another famous composer named Prokofiev, and they would have like like rapper beef in the newspapers. Where like reviews would come out about Stravinsky's work and then Prokofiev would clap at it in the newspaper, like, no, 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 no. Is it really music? No, it's bullshit. And fucking I make the really cool shit. It's like it was sick. Um, it was like literally original like, rap beefs. Dead ass, dude. I'm not even playing. That's that's it's absolute truth. But
2: anyways. I fucking love that.
1: So now that you have like a 30-second intro to like how crazy music was <laughs> during this time
2: period. Dude, that shit was like the Wild West at that time.
1: It truly was. Like, like we have nothing like I, we have nothing like it now. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, so, in the early 1900s, France started really getting into Russian classical because it was like this hip, new, cool genre or subgenre. I mean, so funny, right? Um, it it kind of reminds me of like when 2012 dubstep hit because the reinvention of the genre is what made it pop off so hard in another part of the world. Um, so the right. same thing in this instance. So culturally, this was also when a lot of technological advancements were going on in Paris. So people were really trying to hold on to their, their French noce, their, their Frenchness, the French noce.
2: While- well, the, and the, the concept of Frenchness of uh, like the concept of, of like being French is very heavily ingrained in French culture too. Like there was, um the, there was a, there's a a late night host at one time. It may have even been Trevor Noah on the daily show, but I'm not positive. Um, there was a late night host who, um, referred to players on the French soccer team as French African. And I think it was the owner of the team like issued a statement. and was basically like, we don't do that here. If you are, if you, if you if you live in France and you uphold the ideals of France, you are French you are not French hyphen, you are French, you are one of us. French as fuck. Exactly. And so the the, the idea of being French um, and, and the identifying as being French is very important in that culture.
1: They were trying to hold on to this cultural identity while progressing into a modern age. And so during this time period, there were two types of audiences. Ones who enjoyed their ballets to be a bit more traditional and beautiful, while others who were Bored of the old ways, wanted something a little bit more new. And so, you know, in uh, this is when the Ballet Russe came to be because they started importing all this Russian classical to
2: uh, ah.
1: Paris. So it was like a showcase for Russian classical that they would have. And they would do it like it, it was, it was pretty much like any other regular events. You know, they would have like other Russian dudes come in and then as you're going to learn like stravinsky built his credibility over time and so he kind of became more of like um he became because he became more of a headliner they put more behind his shows as time went on
2: interesting yeah it's it's
1: it's it's actually when you compare it to modern things it's actually totally it's very modern <laughs> um so in 1910 he debuted a really badass piece called the firebird in paris and it brought the
2: metal it's It's metal as fuck
1: dude it's so it's i mean it's about a fucking phoenix
2: burned the house down of course it did
1: so it's it's yeah like so you know it's the story of a motherfucking phoenix going trogdor the burninator all over the countryside and fucking shit up and then it's then spring comes along after the fire burns out and it's a happy ending because the forest springs anew over the ashes If you've seen the movie Fantasia 2000, you know this piece because. Oh, shit! Yeah! It's the ending key. It's the conclusion. It's it's this, it's the metal as fuck arch versus phoenix fight at the end. <laughs> Yo,
2: drink for, drink for Disney real quick. Drink for Disney. Drink for Disney. Drink for Disney. Drink for Stravinsky
1: and Disney. He actually Stravinsky actually hated what Disney did to both of his songs that were in both Fantasia films. But he didn't live to really? he didn't live to see uh, Fantasia two thousand. I don't think so. Right,
2: of course. He did, he so.
1: was spared from the Firebird. But yeah, he didn't like what they did with uh the the last tra- the, the last track we're going to talk about. But anyway, uh-huh. So, this is uh The Firebird by Stravinsky. Drink some serious bounce to that track dude it's hype i'm like yeah you can't see me because we're just talking over the phone right now but like i i was literally jumping in my seat like, like <laughs> oh, yeah i
2: was i was bouncing the whole
1: way and like it's super dark and menacing at first very like batman kind of in my head like the animated series and then it goes into like that really like fluttery weird trippy kind of string part at the end uh in the yeah. middle and then diving back into that like those those like kind of cartoony whimsical like we're like it, it feels like motion. It's just like a lot of uh, just, uh, kinetic energy, a lot of fire, you know? Um, right, totally. Fucking really, really cool piece. Um, definitely everyone should go and check out. You could, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube or something like that. Find the, the Fantasia 2001 clip with the Firebird. Firebird. Uh, his success was so large from this piece and so very immediate that allowed him to move his wife and two kids out of Paris out of Russia into Paris. Wow. So in 1911, he performed the beautiful and dramatic Petrushka, which was also very well received. So this is his sophomore release, his sophomore single. <laughs> uh, it was, right. Sophomore single. That's right. And it was inspired by puppet figures. So P- Petrushka was wow. Petrushka was the name of a popular puppet character at the time. So I I don't know if this was from his childhood in Russia or when he was living in Paris and this would be something that maybe his kids grew up with. So this is a very different part of Stravinsky. Uh, This is Petrushka. Everyone should sip, sip.
2: Absolute
1: fire. <laughs> um, though, yeah, so the man's makes heaters, but also at the beginning, that was very like, you know, like it felt like the beginning of a Disney movie. It felt very, you know, explorative, uh, very, very hands up, kind of airy and chorusy. The rest of the piece is very cartoony and whimsical and very bright. Um it's got its it like is, yeah. it's, it's got its sad mopey moments as well, but they sound like cartoony sad mopey moments. And that
2: and that bounce moment is just so bouncy.
1: Yeah, dude. Like I said, like I couldn't help but beatbox over it. I was just wilding. Like like that that that's oh, a Yeah, look. you
2: gotta. Like, so like
1: that slaps. <laughs> it was yeah, that was a heater. Um and it's not the same it's not the same type of sad. Excuse me. It's not the same type of sadness either as like the Firebird, which was a lot more dramatic. And when it has its low points, it's like truly sad compared to Petrushka, yeah. which is like cartoon sad. Yeah. So then two years later, he ha- he debuts the Rites of Spring. Now, oh, shit. this is one of the greatest opening night reactions to a performance in musical history. Let me tell you why this is particularly wild. Okay. So compared to previous ballets, this was an even bigger deal because this was a super group. Not only was Stravinsky composing and writing the music for it, but it was to be choreographed by one of Paris's finest at the time, Vaslav Ninsky. I can't even. There's more consonants than vowels. I, I can't do it. Um, And staged by, stage by Michael Fokine. Fokine? Fokine. Fokine? Fokine. Fokine. I like Fokine. Fokine. I Michael like Fokine. Fokine. Michael Fokine. That's fun. Mikey fucking. Mikey fucking. <laughs> Mikey fucking. Mikey fucking. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> drink for Mikey
2: fucking. A. Drink for Mikey fucking A. Drinky drink from drinky for Mikey fucking. A. Drinky
1: for Mikey fucking. Uh. <laughs> to so, to translate this is the modern equivalent of pairing a dope up and coming producer or rapper or band or what have you with a director and a choreographer for a music video
2: interesting
1: so Seth if you could make a dream team of composer director and choreographer who would you pick and no
2: limits Ooh, composer director and a, choreographer composer,
1: composer is a loose composer is a loose term as well it can be any anyone who composes music
2: period i'm going i'm just going for my homeboy john williams um, and I'm going for I'm going for John Williams, strong. I'm going James Cam- I'm going James Cameron, and I'm going Beyonce's choreographer. And that's that's the world I want to live in.
1: Wait, say that you broke up from her. You're going, you're going Beyonce's choreographer. You're going John Williams, and who?
2: James Cameron.
1: James Cameron. Okay, I'd watch the shit out of that.
2: I would. Do that's like- what I'm saying. Like, there's like there's gonna be dinosaurs and and flash mob mm-hmm. dance breaks. It's gonna be a whole shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be intense. <laughs> That's that's dope. I would watch the shit out of that. What are yours, Hudson? What are yours?
1: I want like Miyazaki and the Jabberwakies, right? Some fucking animated, yeah. some 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 animated shenanigans over the Jabberwakies from America's Best Dance Crew. <laughs> yes, and right, the guys with the masks—they were sick.
2: Yes, they're so fly.
1: And actually, like seriously, with their like. They're kind of like where their uniforms that are so sort of like kind of plain and basic, but at the same time, not. They could totally project some cool shit onto it. I don't know. There's potential there.
2: Hell um, yeah! No, I'm into it. I'm very into it. And
1: I want like a, I want like a, a rapper with a fuck ton of personality, like like uh Danny Brown or Denzel Curry. I think that would be really really fun.
2: That would be really cool, right? Really really cool.
1: So fucking, I just want, like, Danny Brown, like, riding a surfboard with, like, Ponyo and shit swimming around him and the cat bus fucking dropping weed bombs on him that he's, like, smoking while fucking rapping at the same time. I don't know. There's there's, there's a lot of potential here. Fucking Miyazaki, if you're trying to holler at your boy for, you know, a storyboard or something, I'm here. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm ready to do this,
2: you know. Okay, I, we are, we're here for you.
1: We got we got mad ideas. The, we just just in all gold all day. <laughs> so, so aside from the fact that this was like a super group, uh, the rehearsals for this were wild. Um, they were so intensive that they actually had to delay the performance by a year. So they they wanted to do it in, in uh, 1912, but because yeah, it, by a year, a year, dude. Because well, and also That's a hell of a production delay. Everything was, well, all, putting putting everything in perspective, they had to do everything by hand back then as well. But true, still, true. so like this was they had to expand the orchestra, um, and because of that, and the dancers, and just the the it, it was a very different performance as you'll soon hear. It required over a hundred rehearsals. So interesting,
2: a lot. Okay, so it's just a really big show.
1: Yeah, it's just a, a big show, and that means a lot more money goes into it as well and mm. back in the day don't forget there were only there were no labels or promoters this shit was funded by the crown or the church and in this case mm-hmm. it was funded by the crown and you definitely wow, don't okay. want to piss off either
2: no you don't you certainly do not
1: and then finally stravinsky is also under the pressure of releasing his third single so Ooh. right so this this is like people have been waiting two years for this piece of music as well. So this is a big fucking deal. There's a lot of hype behind this. Mm-hmm. So first he went dark and dramatic, and then he went light and fun and bouncy. And where could he go next? What, do, what, what would you do, Seth? What would you, what kind of themes would you try to deliver on your third piece uh-huh. in his situation?
2: I try to break shit Hudson. So you
1: just go fucking, you just go fucking metal with it. You just fucking, I just go ham. You just go ham. You, you know, you and Stravinsky would get along swimmingly because-
2: Yeah, we have that in common?
1: Very much so. Because our man's went as controversial as possible. He fucking ah. went- Pagan sacrifice to the God of Spring. So, Fuck yeah. So he goes from like Batman to Toy Story to like Slayer or Marilyn Manson. <laughs> so, Fuck yeah. So- Big, risky move with a lot of resources put behind it. His name is associated with it. It's, you know, so it, it's it's big business at this point, you know? It's yep. bigger than him.
2: That's what it is. So
1: finally, the night of May 29th, 1913 arrived. Apparently, mm-hmm. the first two minutes went well. The audience was kind of into the spooky intro. But then, as Travinsky put it, the curtain rolls on a group of knock-kneed and long braided lolitas jumping up and down. Damn. So right, knock-kneed and long braided lolitas.
2: Mmm. That's uh. <laughs> that's quite. That's a really fucking creepy descriptor. It's exactly for real. So, given the source
1: inspiration, pagan <laughs> sacrifice, and the sound yeah. of the p- <laughs> and the sound of the piece itself, the moves really violent and convulsive which were super different than the normal fluidity that one expects from a ballet performance so this was basically like doing the robot in a city where everybody had been like flowing before you know it was just mm-hmm. like what the fuck are they even doing so right. they even they're even it's like it's like modern it's like modern music today it's like they, they brought a new dance into it as well they're trying to you know, show everyone the new milliywop or whatever. So, so yes, <laughs> drink, drink for Millie <laughs> drink,
2: drink for the drink for the Millie
1: So mind you, some Parisians were really into this new and weird shit, but e- but even this was a, a lot. So on top of the costumes that were really outlandish and the, the sets where that were really dismal and stark. People just weren't having it. Interesting. Yeah. So before anybody goes and says, well, fuck these guys. Like, this is art, whatever. Okay. So I want you to really put yourself in their shoes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're sitting in the crowd for your favorite artist. Okay. And I want you to think of someone big, like a big artist, like a Kanye or a Bass Nectar or a a Foo Fighters, or a a Zeppelin, or an Elvis, or or whoever, whatever you're into, okay?
2: Yeah, whatever whatever it may be.
1: So, and you're at the start of their career, too. Like, right when they're about to solidify things. You've been a fan since the beginning, okay? You saw their first show. You saw their second show. You went for their third show. And you know what? It's so big and so gnarly that it took a year for them to build out the venue and practice to get it right. So fuck, right? Like huge, this, like, like curated events are sick. Um, I've never been to like a bass or freestyle or anything like that. But I hear that those events are just absolutely magical. Um, I would, you know, but, but yeah. building something out for a year, that's Olympian. That's insane. It's <laughs> pretty fucking wild. So the curtain comes up, all right? And mm-hmm. your Kanye, whoever your Kanye is, is dressed in a chicken suit. And he's got Mm -hmm. all these backup dancers dressed up as different types of cutlery and murder weapons. And you get to watch them (laughs) you get to watch them yodel to drum and bass, right? While they kill Kanye over the course of the performance. Okay? Seth, are you into Mm -hmm. it? Are you into it?
2: Oh, I'm I'm here for this.
1: You're here for this? Some people might give it a chance, you know? Others aren't as Awesome is you, Seth. You know, other others just might not might not see it that way.
2: Yeah, not quite. N- not quite, bud. <laughs> so, oh man.
1: Oh man. What? What? Oh. So, so what starts off as a few whispers morphs into like cat calls and then boos, and when the boos come up to this level. The audience turns in on itself because some people are trying to enjoy the show. Hey, shut the fuck up. I'm trying to watch it. And the other ones are wilding at the show. Oh, this shit's fucking trash. I want my money back. So everyone's like, Aah! people start fighting and shit. It becomes, right. like, it becomes like a big cartoon cloud of violence.
2: It gets buck wild.
1: Yeah, for real. Some people start, you know, throwing vegetables and whatever they can get their hands on at the stage. I don't know how yeah. much the vegetables claim is true, but it appears, you know, that, that was a common thing back then. So I don't know if people brought vegetables with them to throw. If like, maybe there was a dude out front that like,
2: get your free rotten
1: tomatoes, take free rotten tomatoes, just in case the show sucks. Like
2: <laughs> Right. Oh man, that'd be so funny. <laughs> I want to interview that guy.
1: <laughs>
2: right, I want, I want that life.
1: So, uh, but then they also like, they had like a lot of walking canes and shit. And people started you know, beating each other. So the audience is full on like, like fighting each other. They're riding within themselves. And then the, right. the total the, infighting, it's all ju- kinds of shit. It's just bonkers. It's, 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 it's over the top. The, it's reported that the crowd was yelling so loudly that the dancers couldn't hear the orchestra anymore. And Vaslav had to start shouting commands from backstage to hold it all together. And then the director of the theater started flashing the lights at the crowd to be all like, "Hey, everybody, calm your tits." Or sorry, French accent. Hey, everybody, calm your tits. That is that. That was more. I don't know. Calm your tits. Come your tits. Come your, your tits. There you go. Thank you, Seth. Come your tits. Thank you, thank you, Seth. I appreciate the assistance.
2: It is horrible. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> so that's like the modern. From ob- them. <laughs> You're killing me, dude. So your French accent's way better than mine. I can only do the dirty ones. Um, Merci.
2: <laughs> anyway,
1: so this is like if you've ever been to a rave. This is like the lights coming on at a bar fight or at a middle school dance. You know when they really had all the lights off and you were fucking about to get oh, your yeah. first kiss during that slow dance, and then the lights flash totally, totally. You know, you're 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 fucking ruined totally. Total mood ruiner, completely dick softener.
2: Right, total mood ruiner, like you're, you're about to get your first kiss, and the lights come on, and you're like, oh, that's my BFF, that's a dude. Oh, my God, nothing wrong with kissing dudes, maybe you should do it anyway.
1: But, fucking, yeah, if exactly. you're not into that, then, <laughs> uh don't do that. But, like, <laughs> but,
2: uh. <laughs> we, can, we can edit that part out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, the police arrived during intermission and, and about 40 people were forcibly removed from the theater. <laughs> all these. Damn. Yeah, dude. 40 people in one night. Just like they were. That's all a lot. <laughs> that's a whole lot. <laughs> that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of people. Like. <laughs> that's a lot of paddy wagons. <laughs> so Yeah. <laughs> Stravinsky was so mad that he drops the mic and left the theater. <laughs> He's like, fuck this. I'm out. So now everyone's pissed. Um. And this is when the, the legend kind of blends in with the story. And I, according to my reading, I couldn't really find if this is dead ass true or not. I cannot say that the following section is an on dogs moment, if you will. Um,
2: but an on dogs, moment, what, what does it, that mean? Hudson, it, it, for the, for the folks who don't know. I,
1: I cannot swear on dogs, on my dogs, on my homies, <laughs> that, yep. that this is true. Um, You know, I, 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 it's a great, sorry, I cannot swear on dogs that this is true. However, it is a really fun story. And I've also heard people swear up and down that it is true. So I invite you to do it. Yeah, the controversy is kind of fun. Personally, I really want to believe it. So I encourage you to do your own reading if you're like, hey, Hudson, that's bullshit. And that's totally fine. Please holler at us. Leave it in the comments. Let us know know your compliments and death threats in the comments, please. Just save it all. Just give it all to us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Whisper all your sweet, dirty nothings in the comments. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm. So, so, according to legend, or history, whatever you want to believe, the riot that ensued actually followed Stravinsky home after he dipped on the movie theater. Movie theater. After he dipped on the performance. So... (laughs) This group of people follows him home, and they actually start to burn his house down when they realize they can't get him out of it. Damn. Yeah. So imagine, like, you fucking running After you, like, dipped out of the two-year performance that you built up for— Hundreds of people's jobs have been affected. You know, lots of lives are, are aside from the people who worked it. You have all the people who bought tickets, blah blah, blah. like mm-hmm. all the hype, big fucking deal. And you uh, 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 huff it all the way home, lock the door, put your back in the door, like uh, okay, it's all safe. Damn. And then you hear the 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 angry noises. You hear the the, the fucking insults. What what? what Stravinsky, Stravinsky, you fucking dirty ass Steve. <laughs> <laughs> fucking that's the only thing I can think of off the dome.
2: Shriven's yep. Shriven's <laughs> so ain't nothing wrong with that.
1: Nope, nope. I mean, if if I w- had to bully him in this day and era, that would be the name I would give him. <laughs> so,
2: um, absolutely.
1: Not that we approve of bullying, but,
2: but. Fucking,
1: if I had to, that's what I would call him. So uh, if I had to take his lunch money That's what I would call him while I was doing it That's what I'm saying If I had to take his lunch money (laughs) So Stravinsky actually has to jump out of his own house And join the riot That was out to hurt him In order to survive And to this day uh, Because of this reaction uh, The Rites of Spring Is one of the most Well known and controversial Pieces of music that you can check out if you're old enough to remember the OG Fantasia, like the very first one from 1982, it's the epic dinosaur sequence that we see whenever we see like the beginning of life and creation, and then it, it you see like the single cells become you know fish and then frogs and then mm-hmm. all that stuff, and we get like the epic T Rex fight with the, the 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 Triceratops and shit. It's really metal, really really fun. Right. All super badass. Definitely a music video I would be stoked to have put to my music. I'm just saying. Fucking really, really stoked. Oh, yeah. So on that, because homie didn't like the uh, Disney version of this piece, I'm going to play one performed by Joffrey uh, Ballet, um, or performed by the Joffrey Ballet. There we go. Uh, this was in yes. 1987. This is part one, uh, a little bit of part one of The Rite of Spring. Let's hit it. I encourage all of you to look up a performance of this by some ballet because this is
2: heat right here yeah
1: the music is dope but like I could see why people were kind of bugged out by the dance motions man like people are fucking I don't know man if I were like walking down an alleyway at like 3am on my way home from a show or some shit and I saw people like a group of people doing these herky-jerky motions like in
2: unison I would fucking yeah. shit bricks like I'd love that <laughs> it'd be the most New York shit I can imagine <laughs>
1: these actresses is really terrifying as well. It's some like really? it, it looks like it's really dramatic. It looks some like some like uh just for lack of a better comparison, it looks like geisha paint mixed with like Lady Gaga type accents. It's really cool. It's really boring. interesting Yeah, like 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 it's like nice juggalo. And I mean like, <laughs> and I mean that in a compliment. <laughs> So yeah, as you can kind of get the idea, it's a much more dramatic and kind of Drawn out and really crunchy, dissonant. Like, for lack of a better word, it's it's a lot more metal than his other pieces. I
2: think just, it's super hard. Yeah, like I love that. Yeah,
1: um, everyone should go and check the check those performances out. If you the Fantasia videos are a lot of fun, even if the homie didn't like them. Or you know, if you don't have any plans, then I I encourage you to like you know maybe maybe roll up a little something something. You'll pour yourself a little something and let's just listen to some Green Day or like bump some fucking Rite of Spring, you know, get yourself in that yep. zone and kind of-
2: you know, And then go rob a liquor store.
1: That's a, that's exactly what you should do. Actually, I want, I want, not that we're encouraging you to do that, but if you were to do that, I would want you to be doing it to the Rite of Spring.
2: To the Rite of Spring. With Lady- Yeah, no, G- that is some villainous <laughs> shit <right there.
1: laughs> With some like face paint, kind of like these dancers I was watching fucking yo if you if you film that i'll like (laughs) i don't know i'll 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 have to find some i I don't think i could ever repay you for that actually that would just make my lifetime i i don't don't know that would just what a time to be alive where we can even have this conversation dearest audience
2: (laughs) i know it's it's really it's truly an amazing thing
1: (laughs) all right y'all thank you so much for listening we have so much more crazy stories to tell y'all Stay tuned. Keep in touch. You can find me on social media uh, at Official on most platforms. Seth, where can they find you at again?
2: At damn Seth Daniel on most platforms for, uh, for all of your sound engineer and beard modeling needs.
1: <laughs> Don't forget to leave a comment. Tell us what you want to hear about and uh, tell us how awful or wonderful we are. Thank you so much and have a good night, y'all. All right. Come along,
0: children. You can shake your booties down on the dock. Hola! Run DMT here, proud to announce a brand new podcast called The Genre Fix. Every week I'm diving into a different style of electronic music and figuring out what makes it tick. Check it out every other Wednesday, or as I call them, podcast day, opposite of sex, drugs, and drink tickets. And head over to killyouregonow.com for more goodies. Take care, boy!